attending to other things in the parish and in the community and somehow you know, preaching in other parishes on occasion and doing some pilgrimages himself. Um, but yeah, so celebrating the Mass, preaching, teaching catechism, celebrating the, the Sacrament of Reconciliation, um, visiting the homebound and the sick. He lived uh, a, the life of a parish priest and, and changed the world. This world changer began in his little corner of the world, but his faithfulness continues to inspire and bear fruit today. How did he do it? As we just heard and will continue to explore, it was by simply living his call. I am Annie Daniel, and this is For All the Saints. In May of 1786, Matthew and Marie Vianney of France were expecting their fourth child, a son, Jean-Baptiste Marie, was born on the 8th and baptized the same day. This family and home was faithful and firmly rooted in Christ and His Church. They were joyful in their living out the Gospel, helping the poor, and receiving the Eucharist. These examples helped to form young John and increase his zeal and piety that was already naturally apparent. At four or five, he got his first rosary, and then a few years later, his mother told him that he had to give it to his younger sister. This is my son, Max Daniel. And he finally did with some reluctance, but he spent the rest of the day crying because he loved the rosary so much. But all was not well in France. He was a child during the time of the French Revolution. And his parents quickly saw the, the priests who, were, uh, who had capitulated to the government and were making compromises, and they saw that that wasn't really the real Catholic Church. Um, because they had compromised their principles. And then there were the priests who were the underground priests who, you know, who visited homes by night to say Mass and to celebrate the sacraments. And so they were part of that underground church. And so John Vianney received his, his Holy Communion, his confirmation in an underground church, in a church that was persecuted. And that, I think, think that can't help but shape you. You know, he saw the sacrifices that the priests who were faithful to the church made uh, during a time when in France they, the, they were trying to decimate the church. It was their attempt to eradicate the church from public life altogether. That is Susan Safford, director of faith formation for the Diocese of Rapid City. They were killing people. They were killing priests and they were killing any faithful Catholics they could find, so they had to really practice their faith in secret. By 1802, the revolution was over and the church had been reestablished in France. John began to study for the priesthood. However, in 1809, he was drafted into Napoleon Bonaparte's armies. It was during this time that... He inadvertently deserted. <laughs> he didn't mean to. Uh, he, <laughs> right, he, he was praying and his unit moved on and he didn't know it. And so then he went to find him and he found a man who said he would take him back to his unit. But this man took him to a group of deserters <laughs> instead. Um, but interestingly enough, he, um, eventually he, he was pardoned. All the deserters were pardoned and so he was able to, to, get, to go back. Once again, he took up his studies, which were difficult for him. His education had been interrupted in his childhood, which meant he was playing catch-up on top of not having a natural tendency for academics. He was not a super intellectual priest. That's Marianne Hofer, currently of Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, he basically barely made it through seminary. He really struggled in seminary, and in fact, they weren't going to recommend him for orders because 
he just was academically just not very proficient at all. Uh, but there were some priests who fought for him who said, you know what, he is a holy man. And holiness, we need holy priests more than we need intelligent priests. And as a priest, he was sent to Ars, France, which was a little tiny town uh, of, that was unimportant, basically. But the bishop said, there is no charity in Ars. There's no love of God in Ars, and you have to bring it there. John set out on foot to his parish assignment. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, when he got there, um, they say that, you know, it was just a, um, not bad people, but indifferent to the faith, I guess. Like, very few people, I mean, two or three people at daily mass, for example. And so he went there, and the first thing he did was he visited every family in town and invited them back to church. And then he stayed at the church after that. Like, you could always be found... He could always be found at the church, and he ministered to the, to the people. He kind of went into this parish and this community that was completely dead, and he, he just noticed, I think, that they needed the Lord and just started having adoration in his parish and, and then began hearing confessions and uh, was quickly found to be a real pastor. Yeah, he really handed himself over to his people. As a pastor, John Vianney was firm but kind. He led by example and lived a life of simplicity. They say he only slept like two to three hours a night, and he ate bread and potatoes. He would boil potatoes at the beginning of the week, and he would eat those potatoes all week long. And he slept on the floor, and he, um, and they say he did a lot of battle with the devil. He would have these experiences of being awake at night, and the furniture in his room would be moving around, and. Um, there was no one in there, and so he, he like, <laughs> it was like it must have been demons or people trying to, things, uh, spirits trying to keep him awake, and I think he said, all right, I guess I don't need to sleep. You know, and so everything, he's kind of like this unconquerable, humble guy. Priests were instructed then, and continue to be instructed now, to be a lion in the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional. Father Brian Christensen, pastor of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, Rapid City, relates. He certainly was a lion in the pulpit. That's for sure. Um, but it sounds like he's also very direct and and clear in the confessional as well as people report it like, you know, did you forget anything? And he would tell you what you forgot, you know. Um, but with always was great mercy and, and the idea constantly to reconcile souls, reconcile souls to God. What could, He couldn't imagine living without God and he didn't want to see anybody else live without that experience of God's mercy and, and love. The curé of ours, for that is what John was known by, spent countless hours in the confessional. Every day wanting to hear his, their confessions. You know, they said he'd come in the morning after he'd get up at four and go over to the church and, and prepare for the day and celebrate Mass and then, hear, then start the confessions. You know, he'd have 60 or 100 men waiting to hear confessions and over 200 women would be standing there waiting in line already. They'd be waiting from midnight till he opened the doors of the church or two in the morning. He started to hear confessions. They say, I've heard anything from 13 to 18 hours a day that he spent in the confessional. Father Fred Miller wrote a book called The Grace of Ours about St. John Vianney, and he said that he thought God raised up John Vianney to, to reconcile, to forgive the sins of the revolution, to bring people back to God, people who had committed atrocities during the revolution people who left their faith, people who denied Christ because of the terrible things that were happening 
during the revolution that God raised him up to, because he wanted them to be reconciled to him. His holiness was apparent to those he met with, and his parish began to grow. Travelers came from all over to go to confession with him or to pray at Mass. Within 30 years, he would see up to 20,000 pilgrims each year. The crowds that would come could make it difficult for him to go about his duties, so... Whenever he was really bogged down in a crowd, that he would pull out all of his medals and holy cards and he would throw them up in the air, um, and the people would try and grab them while he ran away to go get ready for Mass or confession. It is not surprising that he was met with opposition, but he faithfully met it all with humility. He was kind of taking parishioners. People were, were coming to him from other parishes, and so the other pastors of these surrounding parishes were, were frustrated and um, maybe, maybe jealous or just maybe like suspicious of what was going on, you know, why he was this person who was supposed to be like, uh, like barely made it through seminary. Uh, what is he doing to get all these people to come to him? You know, how, we can't, like, it just, that does seem a little sketchy. So I, I can give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so they started this petition uh, to have him basically saying he's not worthy of being a priest and um, he needs to be removed. And so they, signed, they started the petition, all these priests were signing it, they were sending it around, and it got to him. And he looked at it and he said, you're right, I'm not worthy of being a priest. And he signed it himself, uh, which kind of undid everything they had against him. You know, he um, he really called out what it really means to be a priest, is to recognize it's not really you. Um, you're just a mere instrument, and the Lord is really all. And, and I think Vianney would say that, that he was, the Lord was the one doing everything, you know. Uh, he started adoration, but it's Jesus that's doing everything with the parish, you know, and so... He basically, as the story goes, I think, converted the whole town of ours. Basically, everyone um, became very faithfully Catholic. After he had been in ours for many years, he was convinced that he was nearing the end of his ministry. He's been at ours for a long time and uh, feels like maybe he's accomplished all he could. Maybe somebody else could do better. Like, he's not worthy of all of this, which is just shocking. Like, he doesn't see the numbers of the people that rely on him. Like, it, this has not gone to his head. Um, and so maybe somebody else could do this better. He's got to get out of the way, um, and maybe he's not effective. And so he just, he thinks he's going to escape to 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 just live a monastic life of prayer and fasting and penance, which he's been living anyway. But he he has this deep desire to just spend his time quietly with the Lord at the end of his life, and uh, so he runs off right in the middle of the night. He runs off. He goes back to his hometown and goes there for a while, but. The, his parishioners realize that he's gone, and uh, there's a young associate there, and that's what he thinks will take over the parish. Um, and so they go chase him down. They find out where he is, and they beg him. He, he runs to another little village to hide from them, and they go and get him. And finally, he, he, goes, he goes back to that. He did things like that, like on at least four documented occasions, like he wanted to leave. And not, not, because, not because he didn't love his people, not because he didn't love his priesthood, but he felt like, Somebody else could do this better, do this better. Um, and, and that's just amazing to me on, on a couple levels. One is just, again, like this was never about him. It's always about the Lord. And if the Lord had another person or some other way to accomplish this, he was happy to step out of the way. Um, the other two is his incredible humility and just like, this doesn't depend on me. God will do his work. And so that's a great example too. 
um, but also then the great love and affection of his parishioners, who, just, who he they hunted him down. They hunted him down. You know, there's many times that the the shepherd has to go look for his sheep, which he did very you know faithfully. In this case, the sheep went looking for their shepherd, um, and they called him back. John Vianney lived out his priestly call in ours until his death on August the fourth, eighteen fifty nine. Over 1,000 people came to his funeral mass, including the archbishop, as the curé was already being hailed as a saint. John Vianney's favorite saint, aside from the Virgin Mary, was Saint Philomena. He had a deep devotion to her and built a chapel in her honor. At one point, he caught an illness and was dangerously close to death, his miraculous recovery he attributed to St. Philomena. He founded a house for girls in ours called La Providence, and there came a time when the granary for their bread was running low. And he had a little medal of St. Philomena, and he went and put it in the corner by the little mound of grain, and they went off and they prayed to St. Philomena. The next day they came back and they couldn't shut the door. There was so much grain in there, and it all come from that. Um, and. It wasn't, I mean, he did it with humility, but it was kind of, when the sisters came to him um, with surprise, uh, his response was kind of like, yeah, I, I told you that she would take care of it. Such was his trust in St. Philomena, and he often directed people or placed people under her help and protection. At the moment, St. John Vianney is the only canonized parish priest, and it is for this reason that he is the patron of priests. Through his intercession to St. Philomena, she has taken on the role of patron to priests as well, it was through this connection that Susan Safford came to know and love both great saints. Uh, I'm a consecrated virgin, and our primary apostolate is to pray for priests. And John Vianney is the patron saint of priests, and St. Philomena is the patron saint of priests, mostly because of her association with John Vianney and how he encouraged everyone to go to her and, and to pray to her. So I was consecrated on St. Philomena's feast day, and so which, which lands on the octave of St. John Vianney's feast day. So they're very closely connected in the church and um, closely connected to me and my vocation to, to pray for priests. St. John Vianney's humility is the attribute that stands out the most to Susan. How humble he was and how selfless he was that he wasn't, you know, he didn't, I don't picture John Vianney complaining about the work he had to do as a priest or the people or the, you know, environment or the working conditions, right? I don't picture any of that because he was just so in love with the Lord and that love spilled out that he wasn't, he wasn't going to fight for his extra bit of time for himself, you know, that it was, if the, if somebody needs me, if this is, a way that I can serve the people of God is, if this is a way that I can bring people closer to Jesus, I'm going to do it. And that love being so strong that it transformed his life, you know, that, I, I mean, it, it wasn't because he fasted and prayed and sacrificed that he loved. It was because he loved that he fasted, sacrificed, and prayed, you know. And that love came from that deep, profound relationship with, with Jesus. And you don't have to be a... Uh, a scripture scholar or a theologian to have that kind of love and to bring Christ to other people. This love Vianney possessed, the love that was an outpouring of the love he shared with the Lord, 
This same love is the experience Marianne Hofer has known from the priest in her life. It was these relationships that began the draw to Vienna for her. When I was in eighth grade, it was the year of the priest. I was a parishioner at Cathedral, and so every time you walk in, there would be these little cards with like prayer for priests and St. John Vianney. So I just saw his name that whole year. I just keep saying, seeing his name over and over again. And my family really grew up with priests. My mom had them over all the time. And um, she kind of, I guess, was kind of like the last line of formation for the new priests. It was like, just got out of seminary and now she's going to kind of shape you up into who she thinks you should be. And so we had lots of new priests at our house all the time. Um, and my mom would always tell them how selfish they are and, and how they need to, um, you know, <laughs> they don't have kids, so they, have no, they don't know what it's like to work hard, you know, all this stuff. Adam, like, she really loves them, but she was just, she's just a funny lady that way. Um, but it was a real gift to our family to have priests around all the time because uh, a large amount of, I think, our catechesis came from that, of having priests around the table. And um, I, I remember asking Father Tim, you know, um, telling him about this discussion I had at school like in third or fourth grade about uh did did God create himself or did did someone else create him and I was like that's a real puzzle for me because if he created himself and how can you create you can't do that you know if you don't already exist and then um if something else created God then that thing would have to be God you know so I was like what is what is this um how do we account for God's existence basically and Father Tim was like, you know, maybe God has always existed. Maybe he's been here forever, eternally. And that blew my mind. So there was like all these things growing up where I would have these priests over that would really like awaken my soul to like the real awe and wonder of uh, philosophy and theology or just knowing the Lord. Uh, I was in eighth grade with Mary Helen Olson. She was my eighth grade religion teacher. And we had to pick, she had a shelf of books about saints and we just had to pick one and read it. And then I think probably write a report or present on the saint or something and so I picked John Vianney because I I had seen his name around a lot didn't know a lot about him really really loved priests and so I picked it up and read it and I was um, really blown away I was really blown away by him particularly his humility every story that really struck out to me was just evidence of him acknowledging really his limitedness and his um, really like the, all the ways that he's not good enough you know and he acknowledged that honestly and it was through that that the Lord actually worked and it wasn't through you know it wasn't through these things we think are necessary for holiness or for success in, in ministry yeah and so I, I, started, I read that book and I would like come home from school and like tell my mom all about St. John Vianney and and how amazing he was and um, yeah and he's the patron saint of priests and I already liked priests a lot but it really reading that book and then just getting to know him more, um, I think it just really gave me a heart for the priesthood and it really, um, really opened my eyes to the gift of the priesthood. What a, what a gift. As she got older, Marianne began to take seriously the responsibility to pray for priests. That I, I really wanted to be an intercessor for them, uh, to really lift them up in prayer and to yeah, to strengthen them because they're they're so important for uh, the life of the church, for the sacraments, and for our encounter with the Lord. When it came time for her to receive the sacrament of confirmation and choose a patron, she was drawn to Vienna. I think I think this is the guy that I oddly feel connected to. I feel um, 
I feel like he's praying for me and I feel like uh, his story has really impacted my life in an odd way. And I want to, it's like, I want to like be confirmed in uh, this love of priests. I just really want to kind of put upon myself this responsibility of praying for them. And so if John Vianney's praying for me, then maybe I'll be just naturally inclined to pray for priests. Um, Susan Safford was my confirmation sponsor. And so right before she was like, what would you want me to like, what name do you want me to say? Like, do you want me to say John Vianney or St. Vianney or what? And I said, I want you to say his full name, St. Jean-Baptiste Marie Vianney. <laughs> and so she was like, okay. And, uh, and so she, so the bishop, she, we come up to the bishop and um, Susan goes, John Baptiste Marie Vianney. And the bishop goes, <laughs> John Vianney. <laughs> so he was like, laughed, laughed at the kind of how overboard I was going. It was this moment, this moment of hearing St. John Vianney's full name that began Max Daniel's relationship with the saint. I think it was at Marianne Hofer's confirmation and we were laughing about how she had the super long name that Susan had to say. And I was like, yeah, I want to have a long name that my godmother has to say for my confirmation. Then I started to think about that more and then kind of study more about him uh, and his life and read more about him. I definitely prayed about it a lot. Max feels that the relationship with John Vianney that began to form that year also greatly influenced the service project he chose for confirmation. During that year of preparation, he served for funerals at the cathedral. Serving to those spiritual needs of those people there, praying for the dead, but also um, being there for the family members or the people that knew the deceased person. Um, um, And I got to serve a lot, but it was definitely a service uh, to the priest and the people and then um, praying for that person's soul. In the years since confirmation, Max has found great wisdom and solace in the words of St. John Vianney. He has made it his practice to each day read a quote or two from the book Thoughts of the Cure d'Ars. One of his favorites addresses the struggles we all face and a particular difficulty he was having when he first read it. John Vianney says, um, if we bear our cross courageously, it will carry us to heaven. Um, and in those hard points, uh, right at the beginning, um, I always remembered that and then asked for an outpouring of grace to give me the strength to carry through. Um, sometimes I'd just tell Jesus to take care of it. And I would pick up my cross and Jesus would help me. And then I would look back and see God working through that and then see the blessings that came from that. Even if it looked hard at first or was hard in the moment, I could see and still can see the effects of that humility and self-denial. Clearly, St. John Vianney understood the trials and travails of this life, but he had a particular window into the life of a priest. His life and priesthood have been and continue to be a great inspiration to Father Christensen. He first heard of Vianney while in seminary, and he was held up as an example to aspire to. 
It was while he was studying at the Pontifical North American College that he had the opportunity to visit ours. I was a deacon um, in the spring of 1999, and I was preparing for priestly ordination in that summer of 99 back here in Rapid City, and I made a pilgrimage with two buddies, uh, two classmates of mine, two R's, where we spent uh, six days in silent retreat um, at the seminary there in R's and spent our whole day really in the chapel um, where St. John Vianney um, in his church, his parish church, um, where his body is laid out uh, for veneration today. So every day for um, for six days, we prayed, made our several holy hours there. There's a group of um, sisters there that chant the office. So we chanted the office in the morning and midday and evening with the sisters. I was able, because I do speak French, to uh, be the deacon at the mass each day and proclaim the gospel in the parish church of, uh, of ours. So um, there, just really praying for my own priesthood and asking the intercession, of the saints, um, just was a, a real powerful moment for me as I uh, was preparing for the priesthood back here in Rapid City. So, As the 10th anniversary of his ordination approached in 2009, Pope Benedict announced it to be the year of the priest and declared St. John Vianney the patron of the celebration. And that year, just being able to, once again, in 10 years into my priesthood uh, and with Pope Benedict's constant catechesis and the focus and the various events of that year, um, celebrating in the parish. You know, I was a pastor at that time in a small town, you know, in Rapid City. And um, yeah, it was very, very inspiring to, to once again reflect on the life of St. John Vianney and my own priesthood and then aspire through his intercession and his example um, to that kind of, of pastoral care and love for, for the Lord and for, for his church and for my parishioners. And I think that's the greatest thing about St. John Vianney is um, his extraordinary, uh, the, what's, what's exemplary of his life is his love for his parish. And that really inspires, inspires me. As Father Christensen said, St. John Vianney's life was characterized by a deep and sacrificial love for his parishioners. In turn, they taught him much, and as Father shares, the same is true today. There's a reciprocal relationship. I don't think people always understand that, you know, that, um, that yeah, the priest has his role to, to share the good news of the gospel, um, but he's also deeply influenced by the response of faith, the witness of faith, even the challenges that he faced. I mean, if if any parent understands like how their children surprise them, encourage them, challenge them, increase their patience and love and mercy, then yeah, then you can kind of get a glimpse into how priests feel as real parents in that regard to to love their children, but also to be challenged by their children and to be surprised by the goodness of their children. As both Marianne and Susan mentioned, praying for priests has long been a part of their lives. Each of them share how they do this. Strangely, they just kind of show up on my heart. Uh, they just kind of, certain priests uh, will, uh, particularly the ones that were super influential in my life, you know. So the, the priest that baptized me, Father Tim Hoig. Uh, the priest that gave me my, my first confession, Father Tim Castor. First communion, Monsignor Wooster. My confirmation, Bishop Groose. 
priests who are super involved in my life, Father Tyler Dennis, Father Nathan Sparks, my own brother, Father Adam Hofer. Now I'm up in Bismarck, and so uh, Father Robert Shea, Monsignor Shea, you know. Um, those priests up there are, I, I don't know, I just, I think about them a lot, and I carry them with me, and um, uh, like the Mass is, is like, what a, what a gift this is to me, so. Um, I pray for them often at Mass. Yeah, I pray for priests every day, for our bishop and our priests every day, and without fail. And then I offer Masses and Holy Hours for them at different times, sacrifices certainly when, when at different times. And, um, and then, yeah, sometimes the Lord puts particular pre priests on my heart to pray for in a special way. Uh, or sometimes a priest will ask me to pray for some intention, and I will do that. If any priest contacts me with an intention he wants me to pray for, I'll pray for that. Um, and that happens a lot, too. Perhaps you're looking for even more ideas of how to pray for our priests. I think there's a lot of ways you can pray. There's a lot of great prayers for priests out there. I pray different prayers that are pre-written sometimes at different times. St. Therese of Lisieux has a great prayer for priests. St. Faustina has a great prayer for priests. There's a ton of different prayers for priests out there. So at different times I'll pray some of those prayers or or just offer a rosary or again, like I'm going in to make a holy hour. And so, I, Lord, today I just want to offer this whole holy hour for our priests or maybe for a particular priest, and especially to pray for your pastor, whoever is the priest at your parish, <laughs> I think is always uh, a great devotion to have and a great service and, and blessing to our priests. One of the things St. John Vianney did was sleep on the floor, slept on the floor for people. Uh, I, there's a story that about him that another priest was complaining to him that his people weren't converted, the people of his parish, and he said, well, have you sacrificed for them? You can't complain about it until you've sacrificed for them. The prayers for the priests in this day and age um, are, are needed more than, more than ever. You know, the church is going through difficult times you know, both internationally, nationally, and even locally. Um, and so that, that our priests are supported and encouraged um, in, in these difficult times to be faithful, um, to follow the example of John Vianney, to, uh, to, be, to persevere uh, in the calling that Christ has for them. I think it's an important role that the laity can fulfill. For the people of our diocese, the cathedral is encouraging the faithful to begin a novena to St. John Vianney in preparation to receive the heart of Vianney. The novena begins on March 14th and can be found on the cathedral website. So the Knights of Columbus uh, have this great uh, national pilgrimage over these six months to bring the heart of John Vianney to, to our nation, to the parishes and the communities uh, here in the United States. And so they're coming, you know, to uh, Fort Pier on Saturday the 23rd of March and then to the cathedral on the 24th of March Sunday, which will begin with Mass with uh, Bishop Groose at 8 a.m. We'll receive the relics and then uh, during the Mass. And then after Mass, throughout the day, the relics will be available uh, for veneration in the Cathedral of Our Lady Perpetual Help. We'll have Mass at 1030. In the beginning at noon, we'll have confessions. Uh, there'll be various priests available throughout the day from noon until 5 p.m. Um, leading up to the 5.30 p.m. Mass, which will close out the day of veneration uh, of the relics. But throughout the day at noon, we'll have a sung rosary. Um, at uh, 2 o'clock, we'll have a holy hour of vocations led by our vocations director, Father Mark McCormick. Um, at uh, 4 o'clock, we'll have a holy hour led by Bishop Groose himself for the sanctification of priests and, in, and pleading the intercession of John Vianney for priests. 
Um, and then finally the closing mass at 5.30 on Sunday evening. So it's an exciting day and looking forward to have lots of people join in in the prayer and discover the, the goodness and the joy of the priesthood of John Vianney and, and to pray for priests and for priests to be um, renewed and uh, in their zeal for the gospel. I'm super excited about John Vianney's heart coming to Rapid City so that we can pray for his intercession, especially for our bishop and for our priests, uh, for a closeness to Jesus and for their ministry and the work that they do for their unity in Christ. And, um, and this is John Vianney wants to intercede for us here. Vianney said, the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. And so to have a heart so in tune with the heart uh, of Christ and to reveal that priesthood of Jesus Christ, a heart of mercy, a heart of love, of a commitment of un, you know, unyielding zeal for the gospel and for souls. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm excited about that. How fitting that the heart of this man would be the thing that doesn't corrupt, you know. That's really, because that's, that's the thing he gave away, you know. And so that's the thing that the Lord keeps for us to see that it's the heart of John Vianney that um, the Lord was able to touch for his own conversion first and then for each of ours, yeah. So how beautiful for Rapid City to receive the heart of John Vianney. Our prayer is that each of you will join us in praying for our priests and bishop during this novena to St. John Vianney. We hope each of you will be able to reverence Vianney's heart in Fort Pierre or Rapid City and that by glimpsing it, you will have a glimpse into the heart of the one who created and called him and created and calls each of us. St. John Vianney, pray for us. This episode was written and produced by me, Annie Daniel, with technical and production help by Jacques Daniel. Special thanks to Father Brian Christensen, Susan Safford, Marianne Hofer, and Max Daniel. For All the Saints is produced out of the Office of Faith Formation for the Diocese of Rapid City. God bless. I love when he first arrives too, you know, they have the little monument. So outside of ours, it's just a little hike, maybe, maybe a mile, maybe less than a mile. You hike up this little road to where he was, because he walked to ours from the, the diocese, you know, and it, this is not easy to do that. So he walked there and he gets there and he meets this little boy um, and he says, do you, do you know where ours is? And, you know, and the, he says, you know, if, um, if you show me the way to ours, I'll show you the way to heaven. There's a, little, there's a little statue out there, this encounter of this little boy and the curate as he was arriving as a young priest. It's said that the devil said, if there were three men on earth like you, my kingdom would be destroyed.